Well, again, it's a great privilege to be able to share God's Word with all of you. Um, we have been um, together as a family in isolation for the last couple of weeks. Um, and as many of you know, we have a five-year-old, three-year-old, and one-year-old. So uh, we're all very grateful to be over the COVID season and out of the house. And as much as we love each other, I think we're grateful to have a little bit of space and time, um, it is quite a thing to be cramped up in a room, uh, or sorry, in a house together. Um, but we're grateful to God for His healing, and uh, we're just super aware uh, that everybody is going through this season in different ways and in uh, kind of different measures. And so our hearts go out to people in this season. Um, and we're kicking off a series that I believe is so appropriate for this season. It's called What's the point, and as Tones mentioned, we're going we're gonna to unpack three different books in the Bible. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes, and then next week the book of Job, and the following week the book of Hosea, and basically we're going to be looking at what these books have to say about this topic, what's the point. And hopefully, when you visit these three books again, you'll start to see God's heart for you, His purpose for you in these uh, couple of books. But I don't know if you've ever asked this question. Maybe it's because we did go through a COVID season, uh, although I felt God stirring this message in my heart for a little while now. But if you ever asked that question, like, what's the point? Like, honestly, why am I Oh, why am I doing this? Like, why, why am I getting up every day and doing the same stuff? Why, what, what, what's the point of this job? What's the point of, of, of my life? And, and, um, and it's a good question to ask, and I think something that we all ask. And uh, there's a great a story, if you've read um, The Long Walk to Freedom, the, the account of Nelson Mandela. He tells a story about how when they were on Robben Island, they would, uh, the kind of uh, officers in charge would make them dig a hole um, on one side of the island, put the sand into the wheelbarrow, and then wheelbarrow all the way across to the other side of the island, unpack the dirt, um, and then dig another hole and put that dirt into the wheelbarrow, and then take that wheelbarrow right back to where they dug the first hole, and then pack that dirt into the hole again, and then dig dirt and put it into the wheelbarrow and take it back to the other side of the island where they had dug the hole and fill up the hole. And they just did this on repeat. The whole kind of purpose of this was to break them down, to break their morale. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like life has a way of us shoveling dirt from one side of the island to the other side of the island, asking the question, what's the point? Now, if it's a question of what's the point when it comes to a circumstance or a particular uh, uh, time, that, that's okay. But when you start to ask the question, what's the point of my life? That starts to hold a different magnitude, a different meaning to us. And there's another great story um, that Nikki Gumbel tells in the Alpha Course. It's about a Filipino lady who um, goes to au pair for an American family. And her English is kind of developing, and so she hasn't kind of mastered the English language. And she's looking after a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And uh, she has told them on repeat that they should not wreck the room. They should not be jumping on the bed. They should not be tearing out the clothes from the covered. They should not be running uh, uh, havoc in the bedroom. And she leaves him for a moment or two and she comes back into the house uh, or into the room and it is a disaster. They've turned the, the room upside down and she is meant to scream out, what on earth are you doing here? But her English is not quite there yet. So she screams, what are you doing here on earth? And the two-year-old and four-year-old look at her and go, I, I, I actually don't have any idea what I'm doing here on earth. 
And it's a good question to ask for all of us. What are you doing here on earth? And the book of Ecclesiastes pretty much asked that question for 12 chapters. What's the point? What am I doing here on earth? And it starts like this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Some versions use the word vanity. Vanity, vanity. Everything is utterly vanity. There's no point. And although the word vanity and meaningless are a good attempt at this Hebrew word, the actual translation in Hebrew is the word hevel. So it's hevel, hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. In fact, this particular word is used 38 times in this book. Hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. And probably the more precise or accurate translation of this word is the word vapor or smoke, giving the idea that life is temporary, that it is fleeting. Life is an enigma and a paradox. It's like the idea of seeing smoke and grabbing for it and it disappears. It's like everything about life feels unpredictable and unstable and uncertain. And to quote one of the verses in Ecclesiastes, it actually says this, life is like chasing the wind. We end up investing a whole bunch of energy and a whole bunch of emotions in things that we have to ask, do they really matter? In the grander scheme of life, does it really matter? Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. And Ecclesiastes actually is summed up in five very sobering statements that I'm gonna take you through. The first is, life seems useless. Two, life seems tiresome. Three, life seems unfulfilling. Four, life is insignificant. And five, life seems uncontrollable. Pretty brutal statements. Pretty sobering statements. I don't know about you, but I think for all of us, we connect with at least one of these statements at different times in our lives. I want to pause here for a moment. I don't want to rush this. Let's unpack these, these thoughts just for a moment, these statements. Life seems useless. You ever looked at your work and just gone like, you looked at your marriage, your family, and you just go like, I, I, I feel useless. It feels useless. I just can't make this thing work. I can't get my marriage to work, I can't get my business to work. It feels useless. The second point says life seems tiresome, mundane, this rut, the same old, same old. Anybody ever ask you what's going on? How are you going? You go, yeah, the same old, same old. Anything different in your life? No, it's just kind of the same stuff. And and the more we get into this mundane and this monotony, we feel this exhaustion on the inside. We're like, life just feels tiresome. The third is life seems unfulfilling. If you're honest, you're just empty. You're not just running on empty. That's tiresome. You feel empty. You feel hollow perhaps to one or two, or maybe just to yourself, you've muttered, I'm just not happy. 
I'm just not fulfilled. Some of us may even be diagnosed as depressed. You feel like I'm just the walking dead. I'm just getting up and doing the same thing over, but I don't feel anything. The fourth point, life is insignificant. It's just pointless. It's worthless. It's a waste of my time. I don't even know why I'm doing it. And you know what starts to happen when life feels insignificant? We stop dreaming. We stop believing. We stop hoping. And even for some of us, we stop praying. Say, I've prayed too long. I've tried too long. I've believed for too long. Life just seems insignificant. The fifth and final statement is life seems uncontrollable. It just is so frustrating. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how much effort I put in. It feels like life has a way of just pulling the carpet from underneath my feet. I've done everything I can. I've done everything right. And yet here I am again looking at life, and actually I have no control. Life is uncontrollable. And the book of Ecclesiastes actually surprises most readers because you don't expect to see this kind of thinking in the Bible, this brutal honesty in the Bible. And yet most readers can relate to the Scriptures going, I see myself there, that hopelessness, that depression, that frustration, that meaningless. I I can connect with some of the words that I see in the Scriptures, and I stand to be corrected, but I believe Ecclesiastes is the one book in the Bible that God doesn't speak, that God doesn't respond. It's just this book where, where God gives man permission to explore and ask and grapple and question. And God's okay with that. So I want to tell you today that if you're saying hevel, hevel, everything feels like hevel, meaningless, vanity, if you're feeling like some of those sobering statements, you're in good company. You're in company with one of the books in the Bible that God had no problem injecting right into the middle of the Scriptures, saying, I'm okay if you feel like this. And it's very important for us to remember that Ecclesiastes asks the question that the rest of the Bible answers. Ecclesiastes asks the questions that the rest of the Bible answers. So if you were going to do a teaching of the entire Bible, you would do it something like this. You would start with Lesson 1, the book of Ecclesiastes. Lesson two, the rest of the Bible. And so perhaps as you read Ecclesiastes, if you feel stirred to do it, read it with those eyes. These are the questions that you and I are asking as Christians and perhaps even as non-Christians. God, what is the point? Why am I here? Why does this feel so meaningless? And so we're going to dive in just a little. We only got one session today to do it, but we're going to dive in just a little to this book of Ecclesiastes and pull some nuggets out that are hopefully going to give us some perspective and some insight into these deeply human questions. The first is this theme, this thought that runs through Ecclesiastes. It's this thought of under the sun. Perhaps you've heard Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9. Nothing is new under the sun. 
The best people for quoting this is anybody who's getting on in their age. They're like, every time something new or something different, they oh, there's nothing new under the sun. And there's this idea of under the sun, under the sun, life is worthless or meaningless under the sun. It's like chasing the wind under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And as a scholar wrote about the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, perhaps this is absolutely true. That under the sun, life is meaningless. But perhaps above the sun, life starts to make some sense. Perhaps for many of us, we've been conditioned by the culture and the way of this world into thinking that we will find meaning under the sun. And God is imploring throughout the scriptures that your meaning, your purpose, your very existence will not be found under the sun. It will be found above the sun. And so the question I want to ask you and I today is do you have an under the sun or an above the sun mentality? Because if you're waking up on a daily basis trying to find meaning under the sun, it will be vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. But if we start to ask God to give us a revelation of above the sun thinking, what does above the sun thinking look like? It looks like looking at the eternal rather than the temporary. It looks like looking at the things that God says are true and God says last forever and God says are important as opposed to the things that we've been conditioned to by this world that, make the, that, that say this is important or that's important or chase this or do that. Above the sun thinking. In fact, last week, Fiona shared so well about the reality of heaven, that heaven is more real than earth. Can I just be honest? I'll fall into this trap as well. Many of us live like earth is forever. We, we live like this is what counts. But church, we've got to have an eternal perspective because it's, it's there that's forever, not here that's forever. It's there that matters, not here that matters. It's His word, His thoughts, His desires, His plans that are an above the sun mentality. And so could we make a decision perhaps today that some of the lack of meaning, lack of purpose, the point that we're trying to figure out in this life is coming because we have an under the sun mentality. And let's choose today to have an above the sun mentality. God's views, God's vantage point, not man's. And now I want to do two things out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, well, the first is actually at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. The second is actually right at the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis. And I want to make two points. The second point we'll look at is how does Ecclesiastes land? After 12 chapters of saying meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, how does it actually land? We're going to look at that in a moment. But I'd love to take us to the beginning of time, to the beginning of the word, but to the beginning of creation and go, why did God create you? Why did God create me? Like the question that the lady asked, the Filipino or pair asked, what are you doing here on earth? Why are you and I here? And many people would quickly go, and they wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but many people would go to what's the point, what's the purpose, to Genesis chapter one, I think it is, it's not gonna come up, but it's the kind of instruction from God. 
And it says this right in the beginning. It's God after he created mankind. He says, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. And it goes on. And many people would quote that as the purpose or the point of this life. And they wouldn't necessarily be wrong because it's an instruction of God to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue. The problem is many of us find our identity in the work of God, in the things of God. Even as Christians, we can try and find our purpose in the multiplication, in the subduing, in the success, in the significance. But I'd like to allude to a verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And it says this, and I'm just taking a little piece of it. It's, it's in the time where Adam and Eve have sinned, and it says this, God walking in the garden in the cool of day. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Now, I can't prove it, but I'd like to suggest that if in the day that Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus or God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day with them, having relationship and intimacy with them, then I, I can't prove it, but I, I would hazard a good guess that this was not the first time he had done that. That God had many occasions, perhaps daily, walked in the cool of day with Adam, walked in the cool of day with Eve, and I would like to bet my bottom dollar that although God would like us to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, what He really created you and I for is to walk in the cool of day with God. And that is such a hard thing for humanity to get our hearts around because so often we can look at even our time with God about accomplishing something. A quiet time is about reading my three chapters or reading my Bible. It's about praying the right prayers. It's about coming to church. You know, many of us have got to come to church theology and not a come to Jesus theology. We need to just come to Jesus. We need to walk in the cool of the day. Why are you created to walk in the cool of day with God? If it gets more complicated than that, we've complicated it, not Him. I want to walk in the cool of day with the one who created me. See, the instruction of be fruitful and multiply was preceded by the intimacy of God. Intimacy always precedes instruction. Relationship before requirements. God cultivated connection before he gave us a commandment. Too much of the time we try, even in our Christian faith, find our identity and our purpose in the instruction of God instead of the intimacy of God. What does God want me to do? Not too sure that's too important, friend. Who does God want me to be? I think that's a better question. Who does God want me to be with? That's a great question. He wants you to walk in the cool of day with God. Make no mistake, the devil is robbing us of what's really important by getting us doing Christian activity instead of being with Christ. Relationship before requirements. Why are you even here? You were created to walk in the cool of day. So yes, be fruitful. Yes, multiply. Yes, subdue. Yes, be successful. Yes, all of these things, but from relationship. And it reminds me of a great passage found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. We're reading from the message version, and it says this, Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. I preached on this before. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Notice the work with me comes after the walk with me. Many of us want to work for God or work with God, but God's like, no, walk with me in the cool of day. Work with me, watch how I do it. Many of us want to do Christian, our Christian faith, 
our activities, our family. Many of us are trying to lead our families and love our families and have marriages, but we're not walking with Him. So we can't work with Him on our marriage. We can't watch Him. How do you watch Him if you're not walking with Him? We need to be in proximity, in the cool of day with our Messiah, with our Savior. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. This is verse 29. Verse 28 that comes just before this sounds like the cry of Ecclesiastes. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? That sounds like all the statements we read. Tiresome and insignificant. You feeling like that? What's Jesus' response? He just says, come to me. Life doesn't make sense, just come to me. Listen to the next verse, it says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. You'll find meaning when you're with me. And then it says, I'll show you how to take real rest. Here's the next verse, walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. In fact, John 15 says it in another way, a great passage about the vine and the branches. And it says this statement in John 15. You can do nothing except with me or through me. You can produce nothing. Now, many people look at that statement and go, that's bizarre. There's much I can do without Jesus. Perhaps so, friend, but under the sun. Above the sun, nothing. Apart from Jesus, nothing. But you know that John 15, the point of John 15 is not to tell you you can do nothing. The point of John 15 is to tell you that if you remain in me, you can be extremely fruitful. It actually says, to the glory of God, you will bear much fruit. So you will do the commandment of God, be fruitful and multiply, subdue there. You will do that, but only if you remain in me. You walk in the cool of day. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. You see, when God gets our attention, which is what he desperately wants, is what, the reason he created us. When God gets our attention, life really starts to matter. Survival begins to be significance. Mundane turns into the miraculous. And life starts to have an above the sun perspective. The last point that I want to bring up today, the first was, under the sun verse above the sun. The second was going back to the creation and why you and I were even created. And the third is to look at how Ecclesiastes was summed up. And here's the verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God and keep his commandments. You see, Genesis gives us this idea that we're to walk in the cool of day, that relationship is the goal. Ecclesiastes takes it one step further. It says, I don't just want you to have relationship with God, I want you to have the right relationship with God. See, it says that we should fear God. That is not to be afraid of God, but it is to hold God in reverence, to say that you are the great I am God. You're the one who was and is and is to come. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You speak and things just happen. God, you were before me and you will be after me. God, you are everything. You hold God in high reverence. 
That's to fear God. And when you hold God in high reverence, you obey His commands. You start to go, it's not my life, it's your life. I'm not the creator, you're the creator. This life is for your glory, not my glory. This is about your name, not my name. And you have an above the sun theology, above the sun mentality. Fear God and obey Him. You see, some of us, have a relationship with God that looks more like a genie. We come to God, we rub the genie, we ask Him for our three wishes on a daily basis. God, protect my family. God, bless my business. And God, I don't know what the third prayer is. Help me be healthy. We come to God like He works for us. We come to God like He's there on our instruction. Yet when we fear God, we are on His instruction. We work for God. We come to God and say, God, what do you want from my life? What do you want from today? And trust me, church, when we have that kind of thinking, we'll have a meaningful life, not a meaningless one. God, this is your day, and this is why I love the Scripture. I think it's in Psalm 118. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. See, God's made today. Today is holy. It's full of opportunity. It it's, has God's anointing all over it. It has God's plan all over it. God made today. It's no ordinary day. It's God breathed. It's God orchestrated. It's God ordained. And when we start to have that perspective about each of our days, I think we'll stop trying to find meaning in the day and start finding meaning in the one who created the day. How many of you and I are trying to find meaning in the day? God's like, find meaning in the one who created the day. Start to say, God, I don't know what today has planned, but I am I am open, God, to you using me. And when we have this kind of mentality, it will be easy for us to rejoice and be glad in it. And the author of Ecclesiastes kind of gets to this point where he's writing about fear God, obey His commandments, and he gets to this point about hevel, about meaningless, about vapor, about this thing that life is this enigma of trying to grasp at stuff. And he gets to this point where he actually makes these comments that go something like, it's okay. It's okay to accept that I might not quite grasp everything. It's okay to accept that I am not in control. Many of us want to be in control of every moment of every day. And the author of Ecclesiastes goes, would you let that go? And when we do, church, you begin to enjoy your life as you experience it, not the way you thought it should be. I'm going to read that one more time. You begin to enjoy your life as you experience it, not the way you thought it should be. Do you know why many of us feel this lack, this hopelessness, this emptiness? Because we want to be in control of the narrative of our life. Tell God how each day should be. And we do not enjoy the experience of the daily because it's not the way we thought it should be. In other words, stop chasing the wind and live in the moment. Now, as we wrap this up, one writer 
called Ecclesiastes, the most striking messianic prophecy the Old Testament has to offer. The most striking messianic prophecy. For those who may not know what a messianic prophecy is, the Old Testament is full of these declarations about a Messiah, about a Savior, about God coming to save us, about Jesus, effectively. Isaiah is full of them, Psalms is full of them, and they declare all these prophetic things. But this particular writer says Ecclesiastes is actually the most profound messianic prophecy because without the resurrection of Jesus, everything truly is meaningless. That being said, with the resurrection of Jesus, everything, and I mean everything, has the possibility to be full of meaning, full of purpose. And Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Whoever comes to me, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Do you know what he's answering here? He's answering Ecclesiastes. What's the meaning? I'm the way. What direction? What's the purpose? What's the point? Jesus goes, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He's answering the great, great questions asked in Ecclesiastes. Do you know what's powerful about this particular verse? Not only is Jesus saying, I'm the point. Not only is he saying, I'm the purpose, I'm the answer. But there's three or four verses that precede this particular statement from Jesus. And they are profound. Something that perhaps you and I might miss when we read the scriptures, because most of us are not Jewish. And what happens, I'll give you some context and then I'm gonna read it to you. But what happened in the Jewish custom is in order to marry somebody, it would work like this. The family with the son would invite a family with a daughter. And the daughter and son would potentially get married. What would happen first is the family with the daughter would go to the son's house. It's not the son's house, it's the parents of the son's house. And there'd be a bit of a moment there between the guy and the girl. And they'd vibe a little bit and maybe they'd go out to, I don't know, slide into each other's DMs. There would be a bit of flirting, a bit of chatting, like hang out, how's everything going, good. And then what would happen is the daughter would go home with her family to her home. And if it worked, if there were vibes, if there were feelings, if it felt like, man, this could happen, then the boy would say to his parents, let's go for a second date. And then they would leave their house and they would go to the daughter's house, the probable wife's house. And there would be more vibing and more dating and a whole bunch of feelings. And then something extremely special would happen after that moment. If it really worked, the boy is like, man, I want you. I'll marry you. Then there would be this proposal as such, this very familiar statement that would come from a Jewish man to this Jewish girl. 
And it would be the very words that Jesus would choose to explain that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And here it is. The man would stand there and he would look at the girl and he would say, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? See, what would happen is the man would leave the house of the girl, go back to his father's house and start to build a room where they would, get mar- where they would stay in once they were married. Goes on to say this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back got to come back to her house and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. And then the disciples respond. They're like, we don't really understand. And then Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You see, not only was Jesus trying to give meaning, but he was trying to get everybody to understand. There's a great proposal of intimacy between God and you. Say, I want you, you're mine. The vibes are there, the feelings are there. I love you. And I will not only go to heaven to prepare a place for you, but on a daily basis, would you walk in the cool of day with me? Would we have intimacy and relationship? For I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. And so what's the point? The point or purpose is not found in prosperity or praise or people or power or prominence. It's found in a person and his name is Jesus. Walk with him, work with him, watch how he does it. That's the point. If you and I, and it's so easy for us to, even as Christians, get distracted from the whole point. What's the meaning? Well, it's not meaningless when you're walking in the cool of day with Jesus. And I'd love to take a moment to pray with you today. And potentially, and particularly for those who perhaps are saying, hey, Cole, to be honest, I've known about God, I've known about Jesus, but I, I have never walked in relationship with God. I don't know that intimacy. I don't know that devotion. I don't know that proposal that Jesus made on my behalf. And friend, I want to tell you that when Jesus went to the cross, it was the greatest act of love that he would lay down his life as we sang earlier so that you and I would not have to walk through the brutality of this life that feels like life is tiresome and life is meaningless and life is hard and life is uncontrollable. It's all of those things, friend, under the sun. But with Jesus, above the sun, walking in the cool of day, all of a sudden, we get this perspective. Friend, I don't want you to leave this service, be it online. I want you to leave this time going, I wonder whether I have that relationship with God. So we're gonna close this service by giving you an opportunity to pray. I'm gonna ask those in the room to close their eyes, perhaps those online if you wanna just close your eyes and I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. It's a simple prayer. Thanking God for dying on the cross, taking our sin, taking our shame, and then receiving God as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have died on a cross for me, 
that you've taken my sin and shame. And today, God, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.